Have you been to a hammam yet? Maybe tomorrow. I did a walk yesterday and we went to the mosques. I like eating here. Istanbul is a great city. I really enjoy it. I did some generative AI search about the hammam. And basically all of the tips they have are trying to head people off from going in all nude because you're going to scandalize people. So just my tip for you. What's the recommendation? You got to wear this particular undergarment that's called pestimal. That's the first etiquette tip. And then the number two one is under the heading flashing. And then it just says flashing is frowned upon. <laughs> Do you like it when they're aggressive with you? <laughs> in the hammam? I think yeah. that's different. Nobody's supposed to touch you in the hammam. That's also frowned upon. People vs. Algorithms is a show about media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Marcy, and I'm joined separately this week by Troy Young and Alex Schleifer. Troy is in Istanbul, and with the time difference since Alex is in California and his own dinner plans, we decided to break this into a two-part episode. In the first part, Troy and I discuss my theory that the economic utility of media brands and brands overall is in terminal decline. He doesn't fully agree with me, although I think he does more so than he lets on. And then Alex and I take a slightly more AI-focused lens to this question because the job of brands has long been as a shortcut for people and a signifier. AI is going to put pressure on that, especially for middling brands and those that I like to call minimally plausible brands. Send your feedback to brian at rebooting.com and please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. I know we're going to talk about brands a little bit. It's fun to see a completely different set of brands. Like we have a brand shift as we move to Turkey from the rest of Europe and certainly from America. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you feel about Istanbul, but it definitely feels more like you're in the Middle East often than, than Europe. Yeah. I know it's obviously a mix. Any Turkish listeners, I know, but at least that was my feeling. This little hotel is a little European transplant, but other than that, when you get out and walk around, it's... Great. We did the best thing last night. We just sat in a, a little bar, played backgammon, smoked those pipes. Oh, the hookah? The hookah. Drank tea. That's the, fun. Tom Friedman had that McDonald's theory. It's like countries with McDonald's don't go to war, which of course they do. It's like a lot of Tom Friedman's theories that just didn't pan out. But I, I was trying to twist that with the Soho house. And I was like, anyone who has a Soho house is not going to get mixed up in any kind of war stuff. Or it's a nice Soho house here on the top of the hill. I know. So it, it opened when I was there one time and we stopped by. I'm not a Soho house member. I have to have that disclaimer. I have a reputation to protect. And well, I was wrong like, with that? the Soho house? Uh, you're like that. No, it's the worst. I don't like that kind of elitism. I'm not into that. And it's like faux elitism. Because Soho House, when it started, was totally different as the meatpacking district. And then they they tried to scale it and go public and stuff. And it diluted what was already to me. And this is a good segue, kind of a bullshit brand to begin with. Because I think what, we, what we're dealing with right now, I like just published a newsletter called Twilight of the Brands. But if I could correct it, it was Twilight of the Bullshit Brands. Because over the years, I've noticed when there's a challenge that is being faced by companies, the last refuge is the brand. And that's in quotes, the brand. And it's like, yeah, all of our economic advantages are being eroded and we're seeing this in publishing, but we still have the brand. And it sort of goes unquestioned 
to some degree about the utility, the economic utility of these brands. My theory is... Well, brands take a long time to build, bro. so people want them to shortcut the development of a new kind of business or something. Brands are valuable. So if you could pick up a brand because that's kind of all that's left of it and then do something that fits with the kind of modern value creation challenge, then pick up a brand. I mean, it's the hardest thing to build in media, a brand. I mean, a brand. It has be. been. It has been the hardest thing to build, right? It takes a long time. still does. Once you get a brand at 30,000 feet, it doesn't go to, down to the earth immediately. It keeps floating. Even if the engines go out, it keeps going for a while, right? That was like a David Carey the day, which was these magazine brands are big brands and small businesses. Yeah, well, that delta is shrinking, I would argue, for a lot of these brands. You know, these are strong brands, right? And I just, I think that's why it's a little bit troubling in some ways. Like if you look at what's happening at Condé Nast, they've got a, a bunch of amazing brands in that portfolio, right? The best, yeah. And they're in a world of hurt right now. So what does that say about the economic utility of these brands? Either says they're doing something wrong or that the gig is up or these are much smaller businesses, which I guess is related to this my second answer. Yeah, tough times. <laughs> I mean, you asked me in the tech, well, you know, what, what advice would you give Roger? I know you dismissed me. It was a very like moderator question. I could have asked about measurement. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you want to talk about today? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I want to start with legacy brands, right? Because, I mean, you saw up close, right? Hearst has like a, a lot of really strong legacy brands, right? Sure. And there's a lot you can do to modernize those. And I think that there was a, some thinking that like, okay, if you can, for instance, you wrote about the metabolism, if you can up the metabolism and you can adopt like the modern distribution techniques, et cetera, et cetera, you can create something really valuable and long lasting and continue this on. I don't know if that's true, to be honest with you, in, in, in many cases. I think there's a lot of things going on right now that are eroding the power of these brands that even if they do all of the right things to modernize, they're still screwed to some degree. The, the mm. environment changed and nobody likes, nobody likes that, but am I wrong? No, and you know, when you talk about media, there's lots of different types of media businesses, right? But let's talk about brand in the context of media businesses. And so in magazines, and I would argue newspapers, probably radio as well, the brand's really important, right? Because it's, it's sort of essential context for the reader. And I think really powerful on the monetization side or certainly was pre-performance, right? Like before everything was about how well you know, a particular media vehicle connected you to an audience on a performance basis. But like brand as context or expectation setting for a consumer is a very powerful thing. All the news that's fit to print, a recommendation from Vogue, an accolade from Forbes, all of those things are kind of meaningful signifiers, I think, to the, to the consumer. But, you know, more, more okay, broadly... Okay, but I would say they have been, but are they? Are they really? Yeah, I think so, for sure. You mean if someone says a thing or an experience or a hotel, if the Condé Nast Traveler says that a hotel is good or a restaurant is good, I mean, I think that you use it as a shortcut and you would probably think that's a useful source of information and something that gives it some credibility for sure. Yeah, why not? 
Right. I guess my point was that before I kind of lost my stream of thought was that the media brand in the video context is actually way less meaningful. Like, yeah, we can acknowledge that it was this production company or it was Pixar or it was a Disney production. But for the most part, it's the entertainment brand. It's the title of the entertainment that matters. And the sort of who it's from brand is less important. doesn't matter if it's on NBC or CBS or on Fox or whatever. You know, it's a two-step there, right? There's a distribution brand, NBC, and there's the entertainment brand. And there it's way less important. Versus if you saw something that was in a Vogue publication, you expect a high degree of curation. And with that, the brand takes on the meaning of that curation. So it's important. I mean, I think it's, it's historically been important. Sure, agreed. I don't think in a world of AI agents that that power goes up. I think it gets eroded. Yeah, but as soon as we start like extrapolating to the AI frontier, everything is blurry and nothing matters. It's like as soon as you interact with everything through a text box that does all the work for you, nothing matters. My house is buying its own insurance. The yeah. brand doesn't matter. My house knows how to evaluate my policy. Well, why is that not something to consider? That seems like fairly likely from everything that's going on. I mean, isn't it? That you're not going to be discerning about where your information comes from because it comes from a robot. You're still good. The brand's going to matter more. I mean, maybe the brand is now something different. It's like my robot is named Vince. And he's really reliable and he has good taste. Taste matters, dude. Curation matters. Discernment matters. And it gets embodied in some in some uh -huh. thing, a person or it's an institution or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. But but like, why won't AI agents replace that shortcut, right? Because over the years, I covered advertising and I heard so much of this brand bullshit talk. I was like, okay, I agree somewhat. Brands are important. They're a shortcut. It's a complicated world, and you need to. Everyone wants to take a shortcut. Like I'm standing in the supermarket aisle with a bunch of paper towels, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this paper towel bounty picker upper, got it. Sure, no idea. Seems credible. If I'm really cheap, I'm gonna go just with a store bought brand. But I want stuff to be able to, to be absorb. Well, you know, I'm a practical person. And a lot of brands stuff was too airy for me. I was like love marks. Remember like Kevin Roberts with Saatchi and those like love marks? He's like, it makes people crazy. Okay, but that's true, right? Kevin can do whatever he wants, but all that is is wrapping up a commoditized service competency, right? An ad agency around a concept, love marks, to say we have a different way of thinking about building your... That, that, that stuff is just... That's service packaging. That's fine, right? Put a little idea around an agency and we call it love marks instead of brand building or whatever <laughs> Wolf Olins would say or whatever any other agency would say. Y&R had some kind of like Geiger counter that they claimed they could wave over a company and it would have a brand asset valuator. I think you need to be cynical about that. As long as it was sort of an, an idea connected to a process that was presumably connected to the way a bunch of individuals in a company thought. I mean, that just goes without saying. But brand in media, my goodness, so important. Brand in automobiles, so important. Brand in so many things, fashion, every, everything. So I guess my question is, why are not the, sh the strongest brands doing better in publishing? Okay, you cannot make statements like that. I mean, because it doesn't seem like that sort of brand premium is worth nearly as much. What's the strong brand, Brian? Vogue? Yeah, sure, Vogue. 
Vogue's a very strong brand. Very. Well, I mean, do I even need to answer this? Like the value creation mechanism in that type of media, which was packaging content together with advertising in a print thing and giving it away for a low subscription price, selling expensive advertising, the gig is up. So then you're like, well, we'll do the digital gig. And the digital gig kind of sucks. And then you're like, well, we'll do the video gig. And the video gig, without systematic or reliable distribution in video, meaning you own a cable channel or you, you have a streaming service, video is a tough business, right? And Vogue, mm -hmm. because Vogue made the video, it doesn't really change the audience dynamics. So you got to create show brands and you got to go through all that. And they, they tried harder than anyone else. And I think they did a better job than anyone else. They created more sort of nifty little franchises than other people did. They didn't monetize very well. And then they got into this sort of production game, taking their IP or producing television or shows or movies or whatever. And that's a very difficult business. And when the marketplace is cutting back on the amount of programming they're buying, it's even more difficult. So there's another one that went kind of to the shitter. So that business is gone. What else do they try to do? So then we're, now we're going to fall back on... Commerce. Activations and commerce. Activations, I mean, are meaningful. I think the Met Ball is a meaningful thing, although I think it's kind of a nonprofit thing, although I'm sure they find ways to make money off of it. And commerce, commerce is at an inflection point, as far as I can tell. I mean, if you're in what I would call product commerce, which is getting people to buy shit from Nordstrom or Amazon or whatever, there's so much competition there, and it's really a game of, of getting into the SERP, the search engine page, and being that page that... And it, by the way, it, it can pervert what you create because it's like hamster stuff. Like, if you make this kind of content, we will give you a pellet and it will come in the form of affiliate revenue from Amazon. So it really isn't about what you want to make, right? Like it's about what you're paid to make. It's, it's a tough game. I feel like you're agreeing with me by disagreeing with me. Well, what I'm doing is just going through the different parts of the media. Like, so then you've got this amazing media brand. I would argue Forbes is an amazing media brand because it means everything and nothing. Oh, give me the case of that. I definitely hear it in rap music often. Well, it's super valuable across so many categories. It just like really operates in a vast, vast way from health to finance to news to politics to pretty much every category. Forbes is there. And so when it shows up, I mean, you have to sort of think, what does it mean to the consumer if someone... If a consumer stumbles on a Forbes list of the best hotels in Istanbul, do they click on that above some other random list because they think that it's credible? And I would argue, yes. So it's to me, it's, it's a thin enough wrapper that it makes a difference to your distribution system, makes a little bit of a difference to the consumer, and in that equation can create value. Right. So it's incremental. And they, much more than Condé Nest, have been completely unencumbered to experiment in so many ways to yeah. find ways to make money. They haven't been precious about how absolutely not. they deploy the brand. And, and people might not like, because look, you know this, a lot of people find Forbes distasteful, right? A lot of people within the industry, right? A lot of people in the coast and media find it distasteful. Absolutely. 100%. Anytime it's like, oh, Forbes, you know. Everybody else thinks it's the capitalist tool. That's the thing where I think we're actually in agreement. So the way that you make money and, and continue to leverage the, the brand utility is not in ways that the quote unquote elite types of people think of, 
right? It's not as elevated. And Forbes is not shy about deploying its brand. And sometimes in ways that, at least from my, I'm like, wow, that's aggressive. Yeah, but you know what? In fairness to the Forbes folks, I mean, listen, it, first of all, the whole category did not, basically didn't survive. Like the notion mm-hmm. of a news magazine or a business magazine has been, I mean, the news magazines died out. I would say that Fortune is a shadow of what it was. Business Week had to get kind of bought for spare parts by Bloomberg. And it's since become an ingredient brand to a very, very, very good business. So Forbes has, through the leveraging of the brand from a licensing perspective or a recommendation perspective or affiliate perspective, all the multiple ways that it's done it with lists, the millionaires lists, and all the ways, it, and, and, and then connected events and all that, has been able to preserve an editorial function where they produce some great content. And yeah, do they have a contributor network that maybe dilutes it? Yes. Was that created at a point in time when you wanted to bring down content costs and massively expand your footprint? It was a scale play. But they still have, to their credit, a pretty vital editorial function when others don't. By the way, they, they've been doing a lot of really good work, particularly in, they do in, a lot in their work. tech desk. Their tech desk has really done some great work. And in many cases, and, and maybe this is me being one of the snooty people, I think they almost do it a disservice by giving it the full, the full Forbes monetization approach when I'm like bracing myself when I land, when I click on. Well, they're aggressive with their monetization. <laughs> what, what do you call it? Aggressive. No, you, you had some term for, I'll have to go back in our text threads. It's a great euphemism. I forget it. Anyway, yes, they're, they're a little aggressive with the monetization, but these days you got to be aggressive with monetization. And so the future basically are for legacy brands is more of them to look like Forbes. Well, you know, I heard twice this week, what was it? I heard Scott Galloway say it, and I heard, I think your friend John Kelly say it, that it's the third owner of a hotel or real estate that makes money off of it. In some ways, this IP, these legacy media brands, are going to have to be freed from the sort of legacy encumbrances and mental models of a past generation of media owners so that someone can pick them up and say, the only upside from here because I got it for very little and we are going to figure out 28 ways of turning this into a business by taking its brand credibility in lots of ways. And maybe through that, we can find a place where we can actually get, we can create content we're proud of. Yeah. But, but the two-step, the classic media two-step is a group of well-meaning editors are going to create content based on the lens of a brand and where we are in culture and what they think is important and their reporting and whatever. And we're going to make that content and it's going to attract an audience. And then sort of separately, although there's a dance, of course, a publishing group is going to say, we're going to represent that connection to the audience to a group of media buyers to say, you need our audiences. That that two-step make something, right? And then hire a publishing team to sell that thing is a really, really, really difficult business. I actually agree that you probably need a fresh start for a lot of these brands. And the idea that you can just out-execute, and I think that brings me back to the Condé Nast thing, I don't know if they've done a, quote-unquote, the management has done a, quote-unquote, bad job. I mean, they've done the sort of basic things. Like When IP was hot, they went deep into IP. Look, turns out that 
all the money thrown at by streamers at anyone who's creating programming, well, that was a ZERP phenomenon. That sort of that was already a difficult business, and a lot of that money went away. Okay, they pivoted into activations like everyone else, and that's also not a great business. Commerce, okay, great. I don't see how commerce is not at a peak, right? There's a lot of pressures because commerce, to me, is an SEO strategy in the same way the pivot to video was a Facebook mm-hmm. strategy. SEO, there's already far less traffic going. You were the one or someone told you it's like an invasive species for Google. The, the reality is search is changing su- to such a degree. I understand why these legacy brands went hard into commerce slash SEO because they saw what I consider kind of minimally plausible brands. Dot Dash, I think, created a lot of minimally plausible brands, right? You know, very well doesn't exist outside of a search results page, right? It's minimally plausible. Funny, also, it's a testament to the long-term importance of a media brand. Right, so they, they went out and acquired the, the legacy brands because I don't think minimally plausible brands, whether it's the mattress brands or whatever, are going to have long-term value. That, to me, is, is a growth hack. I think it's really difficult to have a brand that grows up within an optimization framework that then moves out of that. Do you know what I mean? Because you're doing so many things to chase the algorithm. It's funny how the business changes, though, and one could be very cynical about this, but I am not. This is the two-step I described. So Forbes editorial team go out and create, create a bunch of content. And through that content, we will attract an audience of CEOs and CMOs and procurement people and whoever, right? Senior executives and others in corporations. We will then do a bunch of reader studies and we'll look to package that up and make it relevant to the guy who's buying a payroll system and really convince their agency that they ought to, that they ought to be in front of this audience. And that's the two-step. Versus, we have a media brand that we've worked really hard to kind of build credibility around over the years. And what if the, the guy that's looking for payroll services actually has a problem, right? Like he wants to find... You know, wants to understand the market, find the best services, and get connected in a clean way to someone that might solve this problem. And our brand sitting on top of that process, if we do it really well with integrity, and we rank them and we research them and we go out and we find the best solutions and what he or she needs to be thinking of, that's a service. That's a great bit of service journalism. If we then take the last mile and wire it up, and we get our people to go out and say to the payroll people, you give us a thousand bucks if we bring you a customer. I mean, Brian, this is your beat, right? Like, we're going to wire up the last mile of this and our editorial and connect it to our service yeah. journalism. And, and then maybe back behind all of it, we do a lot of, you know, journal, good journalism. It's kind of like the repatriation of the value chain only mm-hmm. in a way only made possible by the internet. And yeah. what's great about it is it's like a no bullshit business. You eat what you kill. If you get the dude that needs to buy the payroll system and you connect them to the guy selling the payroll system, then you can make a lot of money. Yeah. This is what my business and is. I'm taking I'm exactly. I work with customers where they give me their target accounts and try I shouldn't I shouldn't share this. But I will because it's an execution game. And I am crafting year-long programs in order to achieve those goals. And some and some of the deals will probably do with with upside to it because I want to share it. And I don't view because I look at myself, I've just decided I'm sort of post-journalism. I don't understand I cannot figure out a way to make money within this these weird 
I never joined the priesthood, but like there are all these weird structures that say you can't do this, you can't do that. Like I was struck by this when this. What you're saying is radical, by the way. It was it? like five years ago. It, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're talking like okay. you're talking like dirty business talk. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm into that though. <laughs> I love dirty business talk. But I was reminded of that like when this Hunter Brook. Right. And this is the thing. I think I think it got overplayed with Matt Murray being advising it, but you need a hook. You know, the FT broke this. Tell people what it is because it's kind of a cool. Maybe it's cool. It's a VC backed hedge fund that basically is using quote unquote investigative journalism. And a lot of it is is regular investment research, right? And it is going to use that in order to trade on the information and then it's gonna publish it. And it's being presented not as a quote-unquote... So it's going to sell high-value information to someone who can make money selling assets. Yeah. And then it's going to reuse the content and give it to readers for free. Yeah. But the media is the exhaust, right? Whereas before... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, look, I, I wanted to do a different type of business because I was thinking about what my experience was, right? It was very media. It was like, okay, I need to create a surface area. And I started to realize surface area is kind of unimportant, like in some ways, it's the least valuable thing. And I think what this is saying is, is kind of in some ways similar. Now, I know immediately when it came out, the high priests of journalism got together and were like, we must strike this down. We don't know what it is, but we must strike this down. And that's the stuff that I think is just holding back this industry. And it's the same way I've come around to the five-hour energy guy. I made fun of the five-hour energy guy taking over Sports Illustrated. I think we should get him on this podcast because why not? I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting model taking over a lot of these you know, Sports Illustrated and other assets. The arena group. Yeah, yeah. But I think that these kind of things are necessary. The playbooks I was talking- Five-hour energy guy is clearly a legend. Yeah, he knows what he's doing clearly. <laughs> Getting out of the refrigeration aisle and putting your product in a small container, by the way, the packaging and the branding is heinous, but anyway, putting it on the counter at gas stations, I mean, that was a legit idea and it worked. Yes. I, you know what? I'm ready. I'm just like, let's turn the keys over to, to the five-hour energy guy. I should drink them. I never drink them. Five-hour energy? No, I don't. I just drink yeah. coffee. Coffee does the job, I think. Plenty. Actually, on, a, on the brand level, I wanted to, to share this with you. We can cut it out later if we want to. I go to this Cuban cafe here called Cafe Saison, and I do my writing there because I like to do newslettering al fresco. And I have this thing where I think it's just by appearance. I'm very average, and I've accepted that. It allows me to blend in. You're quite handsome, actually. Yeah, well, but in a very generic way. And so nobody remembers my name. I will go to the same place in New York and I'll be giving my name at the, at the sort of bagel place for like four years and they're still asking for it. But here, she's like, what is your name again? I'm like, Brian. I was like, thank God. Now we're going to develop a relationship and it's very good. And then she, she makes my cafe con leche and she's like, Mike, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to work on your brand. That's my brand problem. So I went because I was like, Finally, and I believe in personal brands. You should get like a nose ring or a neck tattoo or something. Maybe. Well, maybe it'll get me into the nylon house. And I don't know. My chances are doomed now that Jason's gone. So now when I go back, I went back this morning because I had to write a newsletter. And she was like, hey, Mike. <laughs> hey, Mike. How you doing? Okay, so I don't have a lot of time. I actually have a dinner okay. date. What else happened this week briefly in media? Well, I think to me, and this is the thing I'm going to, this is our own two-step, and then I'm going to be talking with Alex in a little bit. I want to get into the, 
the GPT stuff. I don't know if you saw the OpenAI is doing their own kind of Apple keynote presentations. Now it's very funny in that the, the same framework is used and the same mannerisms and stuff. It's just amazing. It's like Give the one more thing. Yeah, yeah. They didn't do the one more thing, but they came out with these. It's our best AI ever. Yeah, they, they did it a little bit more. I, I will say this, having watched a big portion of it, I do think these things will change. And actually, I credit Trump in some ways in that they're less rehearsed and they're more casual. And I think that is actually happening. I know I'm giving credit to Donald Trump and people are going to freak out. But I do believe that it's going to be less manicured in some ways. I didn't actually get this news. So they did a, here's our new GPT thing. Yeah, and they're basically coming out with these agents that are going to interact in the quote unquote, the real world. And so this is coming down the pike and that's why I just published this, I just wrote about it. And it's part of, to me, the erosion of economic utility of brands. I believe brands are still going to matter and I believe some brands will matter more. I think a lot of what I consider quote unquote bullshit brands are gonna matter less and that's. Well, this is a perfect segue and I thought that this sort of talk to Troy then talk to Alex thing was a bit dubious, but. He'll have a lot to say on this. Well, it was all about your hammam schedule, to be honest with you, Troy. It wasn't like this was some sort of point. <laughs> He'll have a lot to say. I know. I think he's going to be with me on the bullshit stuff of brands a lot, I think. The power of bundling, yeah. The reality is you don't need the best product. No. At this stage, this is Apple's MO. What, to just like draft off their distribution, like, bottleneck? Yeah, I mean, their services Apple? stuff is turning Apple Arcade. into a little bit of a company that it just knows that the bundle wins everything. The music software isn't great. I mean, they literally released a journaling app, which is like a very basic journaling app. I do like the news product, though. Isn't that just like notes? No, I, I shit you not. What do people the, need? Don't you just open up? I, I do journaling. I just open up the Google Doc on my phone and I, I type. I, I don't know. It's, a, it's an odd app. I don't know where they went into the space. And is a journal app. That came with the iOS with the latest update. It popped up on my desktop and it asks you to journalists. Oh, it, it just crashed. So it's. It, Do people really need that much help? No, to me, this type of stuff sometimes feels like one of the executives just started journaling and so some, some journaling app likes to, you know, while fixing oh, yeah. Siri gets relegated or the fact that they're still selling brand new iMacs with mice and keyboards that plug in via a lightning cable, which is now defunct since the, since the iPhone switched to USB-C. So I don't know. Apple's in a, in a little bit of a lull. Every tech company becomes Microsoft, right? I mean, Google became micro. I mean, not the current Microsoft that's had, somehow had an amazing revival. That's what I was thinking when you said that. It's just like... I think that's remarkable. It doesn't get enough attention that Microsoft really came back. Like, it's hard to... You don't really see that a lot. I don't think it's not like, I don't know, Sun Microsystems had a revival. Yeah, what I, It depends, I guess, the categories you're in. Well, especially in tech, right? I think there's potentially some kitchen good brands or something like that that had their heyday and then came back. I don't know, but it's got to be something. But the Microsoft thing has been pretty wild because everybody thought that they would be, they got attacked by the government and then they got attacked by Google and then they got attacked by Apple and they lost all those fights, right? And for some reason, yeah. losing those fights kind of made them a better company, I think, because they started focusing on, on different things, on what they were good at. Yeah. I don't know. What's really remarkable is Steve Ballmer because he basically wrote it down 
as the CEO and then just bought the Clippers and owning an NBA team or an NFL team or anything is just the best. Whatever, whatever the teams cost, just pay it because it's going to be worth well more than you paid. Daniel Snyder bought the, what was then the Washington Redskins. By all accounts, he was the worst owner in the league. Just, I don't think anyone, even he probably wouldn't argue. Maybe he would argue with him, but nobody else would. And by the time he was finally forced to sell the scandal-plagued enterprise that had failed for a decade plus to even make the playoffs, he like 10 x his investment. Well, I think always bet on the spending power of midlife crisis men. To, <laughs> it's just yeah. like sports cars and, and sports teams and Instagram is starting to advertise a lot of midlife crisis for men's type stuff. Lots of kinesthetics and pants that make my butt look good. Apparently that's what oh, I care really? about. Yeah. I actually uninstalled I uninstalled all social media on my phone yesterday. Oh, that's good. How long do you think that'll last? Oh I don't know. I do feel happier. Forty eight hours in. I, to 24 hours I took in. I took Twitter slash X off my screen, but I still I have to go to it manually, but I do. I do. I'm a, I'm addicted. It's my menthols. So I talk with Troy. Yeah. Speaking of menthols, how's that? Um, his hotel Is he s- room. It was it was it was pre hamam conversation. Uh huh. So he's in Istanbul. He's in Istanbul. So Troy and I talked about. I wrote this post Twilight of the Brands. Mm. I don't know. There was a lot Saw of different that. threads to it. But my main thing is covering advertising for many many years. I always thought there was a lot of bullshit with the whole brand, 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 brand thing. And I just noticed, particularly as publishers lost ground and lost a lot of their economic utility, the one area to always scramble to is brand. You know, because it's impossible. Because everyone is like, hmm, brand, yes, brands are important. Nobody's going to get objections to anyone saying, yes, brands are important. But there's a lot of bullshit brands out there. And I wanted to talk to you about I hope that you dug into the OpenAI stuff. I hope you did. That they announced yesterday. I didn't have a chance to watch it. Actually. Oh, great! <laughs> did you? Great. Well, I mean, did I watch all of it? No. But did I read about it? And did I, you know, watch the clips? No, I didn't. I didn't watch the entire thing. That's my problem. I always, I don't know why I consider this like high content, but I don't want to ruin it for myself. So I, I wait till I have the time to watch the whole thing. And my wife didn't want to oh, watch okay. it. wonder why. Anyway, I, I want to talk about where brands go in this age. I mean, we talked a little bit about the text last night, yeah. but where brands go in, in the age of AI, because I see a lot of deterioration of the economic value of many brands. Now, brand is like it stretches across everything. Hashtag not all brands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, this, I think it's pretty clear that if the brands are an institution, all institutions are in decline. And the economic utility of brands has a shortcut, meaning like I, it's a complicated world. I don't know which is the best insurance to get. Geico, they, I don't know, they, they, they've got the lizards and whatnot. I don't know, it seems trustworthy. That's to me is is probably in decline. It doesn't mean it goes away, but I think it declines in economic value. Does that make sense at all? Because if you have a world of agents, I mean, this is what they're, they were showing off these, these agents that go out in the real world and accomplish tasks for you. I don't see how that makes many brands more valuable. I would think it would make a lot of brands less valuable. 
And and one of our listeners sent an email about that. His name is Lippe Osterhoff. I worked with him when I was doing stuff with Yahoo. Oh yeah, it was the Dutch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dutch he says, they're both tall and direct. Uh, yes, That's he's a I big like fan him. of our bantering, but he he's literally big. I'm sure he's big. He's got to be <laughs> he, six four. Right? He felt that we could have done a little more on one of our week prior weeks theme, not yet last week, but when we talked about brand, and he gave us some random thoughts starters. How do we define brand? You kind of went into that. What is the value of a media brand yeah. as media distribution business models become more challenging? Will people crave incumbent brands? How do creative brands play into this? How do you build a brand and how do you destroy it? And perhaps what can the media industry learn from gaming and publishers? Oh, always, always want a reason to talk about gaming. Oh no, so I've been kind of maybe beating the drum about the fact that once you have an AI chewing everything up, your brand better have a reason to exist as part of that conversation, right? And I think that there will continue to be brands you wear on a t-shirt that are kind of marks of your personality. You know, the Tesla bros, like, that's the ultimate one of it. People that will literally wear the t-shirt and jump in front of a bullet for Elon Musk that has never done anything for them. Yeah. But the opposite side are probably people like you or like my brother, just like who who have Tesla because the product is really good and are a little bit embarrassed by the brand. Because brands today are are political yeah. at the end of the day, because yeah. everything is political. And that's a it cuts both ways. If you I see focus this on the, media brands though, I, I just mentioned the Tesla thing because it's interesting. I think there's only this many electric cars you can buy. So it's it's a little skewed when you look at people buying Teslas, especially four years yeah. ago. So but when you talk about media brands, I was thinking about that and I was kind of running through an exercise. If the AI spits out content, I might ask it to supplement it with Bloomberg content. As somebody who's not very into financial news, I would say like Bloomberg seems like a source. They have those terminals, they seem to have you know, some, some sort of access to data that I trust, like yeah. the Webster's Dictionary type things or Wikipedia. I don't know. These are trusted sources. So I would say Bloomberg is is right in there. Reuters, for whatever happened to that brand, I think part of it is because it's just like every time I search for like which TV to buy or what credit card to get, Reuters seems to be there. There seems to be a lot of SEO stuff. That brand seems to have lost a lot of that appeal. And I wonder if... To be fair, Reuters, Reuters has historically been mostly a B2B brand, meaning that they sort of straddle line. They're not exactly like the the Associated Press, but they're meant to be not necessarily a consumer facing brand. All of these these B two B publishing brands are trying to have consumer businesses as the weight goes to you. Got to have direct relationships with the audience. You don't want to just be some provider. I mean, there's some brands that mean something, even though they're not directly consumer-facing brands. Like you mentioned the Associated Press. Like if you say, well, that came from the Associated Press, it has some gravitas, some cachet, which gives that brand some yeah. value. And PR has some value. Sure. But what the internet has forced a lot of these media brands to do is they've kind of eroded that value, right? And I would say Bloomberg and NPR, even though everybody makes everything political, or the Associated Press are broadly a political brands. They're not like I'm wearing the T-shirt, I'm planting the flag brand. Ooh. I mean, I know that's a political statement in its own way, but I think some of these brands are try to be as neutral as possible within their their tone. Then, then there's these brands like what do you think about incumbent brands? Like even I would say like MTV or CNN. 
Well, this was my point. Troy was doing the Troy thing where he like disagreed with the entire premise of what we're talking about, which oh, yeah, yeah. Is, was always fun. I'm used to it now. I, I handle it very well, I think. I'll let the listeners be a judge of that. But he basically was coming down to worshiping Forbes as the, the model for like a legacy brand that's making it happen by not overthinking it and just like scrambling to do whatever they can with the brand to realize economic value. And look, I think there's a path for that. I don't think it's a very inspiring path necessarily. Like it's no disrespect to Forbes. They're more successful than most of their competitive set. I mean, you look, Troy made this point, like Business Week is now an ingredient brand to, to Bloomberg. Fortune is a is a shell of itself. Forbes still has a lot of brand value. It's still quoted in hip hop and, and whatnot, and it's recognizable globally, and they'll put that brand everywhere. I was saying Reuters earlier. I I meant Forbes. Yeah. I was comp- I, w- I wanted to compare Bloomberg. Oh my God. Well, this is a problem. You're oh, proving yeah, no, it. I mean, I am proving a point. No, Reuters <laughs> is a totally generic, like sub AP brand. I actually disagree with Troy. Forbes, I think they just fracked that brand for all the juice. And now Forbes to me feels much more like Guinness World Book of Records. It's just a thing. There's going to be the Forbes richest people list. But as a media brand, what does it mean? Like it keeps popping up on like what insurance to get or what credit card to buy. And I know Troy's a fan of that, but... Well, we like to paint Troy as cheering for power, but he, he cheers for margins. Cheers too. for the hustle. And where you make money in publishing off these brands, I don't think it's necessarily long-term, but TBD. A lot of these commerce operations are incredibly lucrative. And what they saw was there are a lot of what I call minimally plausible brands that exist only in the world of SEO, right? And you would search, and, and DotDash was really good at this, and they created minimally plausible brands, like very well, like the Spruce. Outside of an SEO search results page, these brands don't exist. Really, they don't exist. Exist yeah. in my world. Like I, there was this great article about Mr. Beast and why a lot of people struggle with understanding Mr. Beast because Mr. Beast, outside of a YouTube context and all the optimizations and stuff, doesn't really make sense. Like in many ways, but I think of those brands and legacy brands saw that and look, Dot Dash saw it. They bought the merit brands because they said, okay, well, we're really good at this optimization stuff and we've created these minimally plausible brands. I know Neil will disagree with me, but that's my take. And what if we put on top of them these legacy brands and we're able to have, if you see better homes and gardens in in a search results context, it still has cachet that is beyond what, I don't know, make up some SEO brand, you know, right, the, right. the bestfork.com or something like Daily Meal, for instance, the former Forbes.com CEO, Jim Spanfeller, had been running this this food, like the Daily Meal and stuff. And that's an, it was an SEO play for the most part. But isn't, I mean, that's totally, you know, I'm not qualified to talk about this, but it's it feels like a private equity deal where you buy a brand from the early 2000s and, and pump Costco full of these jeans that look, you know, yeah. high end for some reason, right? I always thought that there's in the world of like getting an answer, like what is the best TV? I think there's usually one or two brands that stand out. Like it was quite impressive with what the wire cutter managed to do because they became that. And I think it was smart of New York Times to see that, right? They became the internet's consumer reports because consumer report yeah. was wasn't free. It was hard to access, right? Consumer import still remains yeah. like really popular. But if you look at Forbes, the stuff that they're doing, and they're probably doing gangbusters with that, 
right? It's probably going to work for a few years and it's doing really great. But what they're trying to do is capture all the traffic that for some reason doesn't know about NerdWallet, which is, I think, you know, the source of like what the best credit card is in that case, right? And they can only do that by having a smart SEO, uh, beating somebody as an SEO strategy. And what we know is like SEO strategies are not forever, right? Ask BuzzFeed. And they're definitely going to change in the AI world. Well, BuzzFeed was different. That was social. They weren't like an SEO play. But I, I agree that SEO is, to me, going through a profound change. And I have not talked with one person who says it's going to result in a in yeah, better right. businesses yeah. for those that are SEO-driven because less traffic is already going to publishers. That's only going to decline with generative AI. Like, I, I cannot you're, imagine. You're right about BuzzFeed. It was purely a social play, but there's hundreds of companies every week that shut down because something changes in the algorithm for SEO. And all of a sudden, a business that was there isn't there. So the problem is, where does the brand sit? What happens to the brand when it's being hollowed out like that? Because I think people do lose trust for a brand when it gets when it gets overused. I think scarcity is is somewhat important with a brand. A brand that does too many things becomes nothing over time. Yeah, but it's a normal like life cycle that I think is just going to be accelerated by AI. To me, like AI is an accelerant on a lot of a lot of things, and the power of a lot of these brands has been in decline for a while. And this, to me, will likely speed it up. I mean, every brand has a, has a shelf life. The idea that anything lasts forever is kind of ridiculous. The idea that Cosmo could mean as much to like Gen Z women coming of age as it did when Helen Gurley Brown was making it is farcical if you think about it. As like, but I think that in that case, a lot of the lifestyle stuff has been replaced by social media, right? That was a perfect one-to-one replacement. Because you got more access to stuff, right? People used to buy the magazine on the side of, you know, at checkout, you used to buy the magazine that had celebrity photos, and now you can get to celebrity photos straight, right? Recording artists are doing their own photo shoots and putting them on Instagram and stuff like that. So these media brands, I, I think, were like yeah. going to get destroyed by social. The AI revolution that's happening is going to now kind of start chipping away at these kind of source brands, news source, financial news source brands. But I do think what you do with the brand right now will matter in the future. I, I think Bloomberg has this sense of exclusivity and source, right? That could mean they could do really well. Like a Bloomberg-specific AI that gives you financial market news yeah. would probably be what millions of people go to naturally. Does it make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, but it's funny because there's all these exceptions to the rule, I feel like, in media. And Bloomberg and the New York Times are the two exceptions to the rule. Let's find some others. Like Sports Illustrated, or there's got to be a sports one. Bloomberg is a massive. So we talked about Sports Illustrated, actually. I'll get back to it. But Bloomberg's a is it for the publishing industry because Troy and I talked about publishing industry has always had these big brands, small businesses, right? And in my heart of hearts, I would like to see those two lines meet at the businesses, the size of the brand. But unfortunately, I think it's going to be kind of the opposite way in that the businesses are not going to meet the yeah. size of the brand. In fact, the brand is going to come down to the size of the business in, some, in many instances. I think the exceptions are, are things like Bloomberg because it's massive. It's a big business for a publishing brand. It's like 5% of, of Bloomberg IP, LP's revenue because of the massive terminal business. So they can, they can do 
tremendous amounts of things. I think the New York Times, what they were able to pull off, I don't see, you look at the Washington Post, the Washington Post can try to run the New York Times playbook. I do not believe it's going to work. I think the future of the Washington Post is going to be smaller. I would just make it about Washington, D.C. That's a very lucrative area. It's their hometown industry. They should never have been doing esports and and video game coverage. Everyone mourned when they got rid of it. No. I don't know. You're in this industry where you turn to the, the Washington Post for your, every category your is is kind of shrinking. And what seems to be happening is that the in each shrinking category there's like one dominant player that gobbles up all the attention and then fewer and fewer smaller players that are more individualized. I, I noticed, I mean, you were in tech writing, right? It seems like 10 years ago, I, I had all my RSS feed and I had dozens upon dozens of tech sites. Right, that would that I would scan and kind of browse the topics, and today it feels like there's a handful of super dominant ones that have benefited from a lot of these smaller sites just like disappearing or becoming irrelevant. Like I think The Verge is actually a, a decently sized tech site today, and their podcast is huge. And I think that's the uh, you know mm-hmm. look around and there's a lot less competition. And I think it feels like that in each of these categories are going, there's going to be one behemoth and then a bunch of kind of smaller individual players that do just fine, but there's not going to be like four or five large properties competing. You know, and if you look at like culture and news and sports and finance, like you can probably call one out today, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Troy has made the point that, I mean, historically, the the top player gets a disproportionate share of advertising dollars. I think what's what's different is the the audience attention is is as is being decoupled from the financial results, mostly because the fungibility of attention. You know, Instacart is a major advertising business now. Target, like Uber, all of these things Uber. are major. Uber is a major advertising business, and. Airbnb will at some point, if they're not already, be a big advertising business. And you don't compete. I mean, this is sort of the point I was trying to get at with the information space episode is you're in an information space and you're competing with everything for attention. And so the old categories are sort of blown apart. And that is where I think it's a real struggle for these traditional brands and any brand, whether it's a digitally, digital brands are, are now traditional brands to me. I mean, they've been around for 20 plus years and they, they're competing against people with lower cost bases and they're competing with everyone, everyone on TikTok. And that's really, really difficult. And they're competing with supermarkets. <laughs> Well, I mean, you talk about being a small publisher and being nimble and you get to have this direct relationship with advertisers and you put advertising right on top of your newsletter, which makes me so happy to see. It's about viewability. Is it? I mean, outside of the experiential stuff, like those those great dinners you do, uh, which everyone should check out. or dinner series. Or webinars. They're not webinars, they're online forums. (laughs) When, When people buy an ad spot on your site, why did I spend that dollar there versus just putting it into a programmatic thing that just gets blasted out? Like, why did I care about being on the rebooting or connected? Oh to yeah, for sure. I mean, I was like thinking that all the time. That's why I don't really like to think of selling sponsorship or advertising because you can just as effectively, more efficiently reach those people through LinkedIn. I mean, everyone's right. on LinkedIn, right? right? right so right, right. it's not that it's not difficult to to reach people. I mean, it's mostly around alignment and it's about how can I help 
them develop relationships with their target customers. And the newsletter is one avenue to that. There's lots of different avenues, and that's why everyone ends up in the services business at the end of the day. And Troy and I were talking about how I think there needs to be more models. For instance, I work with with clients based off of their you know, target customer list and like, let's build a program around how we can ignite conversations with these target customers. And then also on a lookalike basis, people that are within, you know, the rebooting cinematic universe, as John Kelly <laughs> would say, <laughs> that fit this profile. And that's just a different way to me of, of working with partners. And it becomes, it blurs the line between consulting and media. And I think that Troy and I were talking about how a lot of these media models need to be completely rethought. And the people who have been running them to date are probably not the right people to, to rethink them. So I look at you know, new models that are coming out. Like I think we shared this, you know, this hedge fund model mm. that is basically, it's called Hunter Brook. And they're going to do, it's not a journalism thing, even though it's going to have journalists. And it's a VC-backed hedge fund that is hiring lots of reporters, and they're going to do investigative research, okay? Mm -hmm. And then they're going to trade on that research, and then they're going to publish right. the research. So in that kind of model, the media becomes the exhaust. So it's, it's like Hindenburg, right? So like just go in, do some Similar. research, find out that a company that's valued highly is actually a problematic go short on it, and then right after you go short on it, release the thing, and then your reporting actually moves the market and benefits you, right? Similarly, yeah. yeah. It raised the hackles of a lot of the priestly cast of, of journalism, but it's not, to me, I'm like, you have to get out of these strictures of the past. And there's too many times where a lot of these organizations are fighting with two hands tied behind their back, and they just can't afford to necessarily. I believe in ethics being up front with people and all of that. I mean, it's an honest business model. I mean, <laughs> in some ways, right? It's, it's just very mercenary. You touched upon, just to go back on something you touched upon before, you, you touched upon affiliation because we're talking about brands, right? And, and not business mm -hmm. models. So these business models, there's lo lots of business models that are interesting, whether it's tasteful webinars or online forums. Going out there and doing some investigative reporting so you can short a stock. At its core, a brand is really powerful when it's powerful by affiliation. Like, you know, we, at Airbnb, we used to say, would you wear the T-shirt? And I don't know how many people would wear the Airbnb T-shirt, but there's kind of, it should be the goal that people want to wear your T-shirt, right? And I wonder how much of that also works with advertisers, like putting your brand alongside another brand or not, right? If you're going to yeah. specifically, and that's probably gets you extra dollars, right? If, if the rebooting is a cool brand and you're a young startup that wants to have you know, be connected to that brand. Is that your ambition with the rebooting? I mean, honestly, like a lot of it is... Because we got work to do as, as, a, as your brand consultant. We got some work to do, but we're getting there. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But a lot of it is tied around me as a person and as someone who's been in a field for a, a long period of time and, and hopefully has developed something of a reputation that's mostly positive. That is the equity. I don't know if... The rebooting as a brand has, as, I mean, I would love it to be differently, but at this point, I think, for instance, Sam Altman during his demo, he made a GPT based off of all the advice he had given to startup founders and stuff. And it was Sam Altman. It wasn't, wasn't Y Combinator. Right. Yeah. It's their custom chatbots, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think if there's the most defensible position 
is brands that are tied to individuals and, and humans in this. Because the idea that like this inanimate brand, Totem or something like this, that has totally different people doing it than we're doing it 10 years ago, is still the same thing, just doesn't necessarily make sense. I think it made sense in a world where there was far less stuff out there and people were more loyal, so to speak, and just were, were tied into habits. I, I don't see that, that that is as strongly defensible. I don't think brand as a moat, in most cases, is as much of a moat, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it really much can be when you build trust around the brand, because then you know, a very powerful brand can get you through a lot. Yeah. But in your case, why don't you call the company you know, the Brian Morrissey experience? And and go from there. I, I think there's <laughs> okay, we'll a there's a few that. reasons to do the brand. I mean, I think one, you might want to communicate something a little less like ego driven, right? You might want yeah. uh, the the ability to bring on partners and have a collective voice, right? Mm-hmm. That's your team. You know, your team blue, and you've got five people in it, and that can have value. But it's tied to an individual. I guess my my point is it's tied to an individual. Well, right? especially in media, I think in media has to be tied to individuals. Right. I think that's where we're getting. Right. Yes. Right. That that's that's my point. Is like it it it's just m- much more defensible. I feel like if you're tied to an individual, and too many people are too focused on, well, I want to create enterprise value, and they're thinking about the the end result. I was talking to a guy yesterday. I have a podcast coming out with him. He basically does something very similar to me, but in higher education. He was the editor and and then an executive at the Chronicle of Higher Education, which is. I think the main trade publication for colleges and universities, endowments, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you know, he left seven years ago and started his own thing. And it's completely around him as a person. And he does a lot of the, you know, similar dinners and stuff like this. So we've we've traded notes over the years. And he was talking to me about how he would get this advice to create the the morning brew of higher education, right? And they're like, Yeah, that's the way you should do. And then he was he was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. And then he, he was talking to a friend or an advisor who said, Jeff, why are you trying to build the thing that you ran away from? <laughs> and I thought that was very telling because I feel like a lot of people end up just trying to follow what other people say that you should be doing and expect you to be doing and, and to build a quote-unquote big brand or something. And I just don't believe that they're going to be as powerful as they were previous generation. I mean, I look at like in my field, Adweek, what is Adweek? I worked there. I stopped working there in 2010 or 2011 or something like this. It's the same brand. It's it's, it's nothing. It's completely different. Completely right. different. It's just a name and a logo is the same right. thing as when I right. was there. But I, I wonder if there, there's these legacy brands. If you take any category, right, and you ask which brand pops into your head. Now, I mentioned MTV, right, like for music videos, let's say, right? Yeah. Incredibly strong brand in our childhood. In our childhood, but I wonder if there's a... Because legacy and history and nostalgia, all of these things are powerful components of a brand. So I think well-managed, any one of those brands could be resuscitated. I think when there's a big shift like this, like, like the one we're seeing happening, you're going to see new brands and you also see an opportunity for like old brands to be reinvented. I think when you get one of those old brands, the traditional strategy is the kind of milk the brand for all it's got until it's worth absolutely nothing, right? Which is what we're seeing with a lot of private equity stuff, which is a fine business model, right? Get your money. Yeah, it's the vampire strategy. But there's also ways of kind of building something 
and collecting a lot of different things around the brand that is the thing. Like when you ask most people, like Consumer Report is one of those brands, right? Like Wirecard build it, but Consumer Report is a brand I can see existing in a hundred years. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I'm not sure if I agree, but I mean, I could see it. I mean, look, they've existed for a hundred years. I don't think that Consumer Reports as a brand is nearly as important as it was 25 years ago. Sure. It, it isn't, but I think as the market shifts, it's hard to run a business that just tests TVs all day. Because most of these sites, including the wire cutter, you know, work through commission links, right? And so with AI, that whole model could be upended somehow, right? I can ask an AI today, find me the best three TVs, and it does a collection of, of not only artings.com and Wirecutter yeah. and uh, Amazon reviews and stuff like that, and then I get a completely new list that is actually maybe more valuable to me. But something like Consumer Reports, just in the back of your mind when you think about like where am I going to go, that's the site you might want to go into. And that could be the biggest fish in a much smaller pond in the future. If you handle it right... Just from a brand perspective. Not to be too sci-fi about it, but if we're all going to have agents that are deployed to do all of this, because brands were always a shortcut because it was a pain in the ass. And then Wirecutter basically did that in that I don't want to go through and figure out which TV to buy. I'll just go to Wirecutter and be like, okay, your best, yeah, that's fine. That sounds good to me. And people just use it as shortcuts, right? right? At the end of the day. We're all lazy. And agents are going to be the shortcut because publishers basically, a lot of their advertising revenue, because they can't compete on performance, is around this squishy area of brand. Won't the, the effectiveness of brand advertising, which has already been eroding, right, in the with with the rise of performance marketing, which is basically direct marketing. I don't understand if agents are making these decisions. What is the function of brand advertising then? I, I mean, there's going to be a there's going to be a ton of value destruction that comes with the value creation of AI, right? You know, you have a pond of like a whole ecosystem of middlemen, kind of you know, <laughs> connecting with each other, creating some sort of economy, and this giant middleman is going to come and gobble this all up, and a lot of these things are going to disappear. And the agents will like have specific tasks, and maybe the source will become important for certain things, right? Like if I want specific medical advice or specific financial advice, the source might become important. But at the end of the day, some like a lot of the purchasing decisions, like what are the best pants or headphones or whatever, I don't really need to tr- a trusted source anymore. I just say, get me the best pants. You know what I like. And the thing's just going to go out there and get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many categories like that. And there's so much money that is spent to build these connotations in people's minds that causes them to make a purchase of one product versus another product on the basis of this magic we call brand. I think for a lot of things like TVs, these purchasing decisions are going to be a mixture of some sort of agent and your own personal tastes, right? But you can imagine brands like men's lifestyle brands, like what coat to wear, which shoes to wear this spring, that type of stuff still has value. For a lot of people who want to just like dress a certain way and want to be inspired to do so. Yeah, I get that. And so I think there's there's yeah. always space for an opinion, but media is still stuck with one foot in the world of we need to get information to the people. Like sometimes it felt like media was still in the world of like the printing press. Oh, if we don't print these words on paper and deliver it in somebody's house, they won't know what anything is. Completely forgetting that 
I mean, even Google, right, was underestimated with how people use that to find information. Like, it's crazy to see what's in a newspaper today. The Financial Times, I love the FT, but the Financial Times still prints the stock yeah, no, like, I'm like, are you crazy? Yeah, no, it's it's out of date by the time it gets printed. I, this is insane. Who is waiting for the Financial Times to check on a stock price? Right, and so I think a potentially good exercise for brands to do is say, uh, we keep saying it, it's like, okay, who are our characters? Like, who are the people who represent our brand? What value can we provide uniquely? And also, how much of the shit we're doing right now is completely redundant? Right. Yeah. Imagine the focus you could have if you cut back on all the stuff that's redundant, you know. And I think it's going to take a lot of courage to do some of that. But I think it's going to be a disaster for a lot of these <laughs> companies. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just oh, if, it's gala's humor. That's media. By the way, I I was calculating. I used to use Google for pretty much a hundred percent of my information seeking. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if I was going into Wikipedia. I would use Google search, right? I would use Google search to get into Reddit or whatever. If that was 100%, today, AI has taken at least 70% of that chunk. So going to Google straight and typing a search query in Google is 30% right. of my, my daily activity of, of searching for in, information on the internet. Yeah, and, and, and search is over 50% of most publishers' traffic. I mean, right. even higher exactly. for a lot. So if the heck goes down, I just... I don't know if I'm like too too much into doom and gloom, but I mean I'm definitely a, an early adopter, but yeah. I can't see everyone I show a specific trick of how I get information with AI ends up being impressed and starting to use it. I think most people don't use it because they don't. It takes a lot of time to change these habits. We're still on like running on habit fumes. Like this thing is going to change dramatically at some point. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that that'll give us a good topic for like. Another podcast. Did you do a good product with Troy? No, we didn't. Do you have a good product? I have a bad product. Or, or just like an underwhelming product. I got the iPhone 15. Of course, it's an incredible phone. The camera's incredible. Everything's like really well built. But this year's Apple is is just, I think it's it's in some sort of lull where like these, you know, they, they added this like action button, which pretty sure most people will hardly ever use. It's titanium now, which just, you know, it's a different material. And all their laptops kind of basically look the same. They, they're now faster. And I got to a point where there's all this really interesting stuff that's really great. It's really beautiful, but it's really underwhelming. I think that in the next few years, we're going to see maybe Apple struggling because they might be behind on AI. The next step of making technology magical and impressive is going to be really integrating AI into the stuff. And it doesn't look like they're anywhere close. And they can keep redesigning you know, where the port fits and where the buttons are. But they're another company that I think might be facing a, a bigger challenge than they have in the last 15 years. Oh, yeah. I think Apple is incredibly challenged across a lot of fronts. I mean, if you think about, there's more calls to, to ban TikTok, right? Yeah. And Apple is so tied in with China. And if this becomes geopolitical, and it already is. You don't need to be doing a lot of game theory to understand what's going to happen. I mean, what happens if China just cracks down on Apple? Like they're cracking down on lots of different businesses, and they can't reroute their supply chains to Vietnam. There's not enough engineers so anyways, in the world to do that. But yeah, I mean, even if China is fine, there's an interface shift happening, and it's happening yeah. entirely in software. 
Well, that's also, I mean, this is another great episode, actually, because I wanted to talk about there's this universal UI that OpenAI is talking about. And so I think we need to talk about that because I think it's part of this interface shift. And we've done some episodes on, on the interface. And this seems like a major change that is going to affect Obviously, not just media companies. Media companies are downstream of downstream of downstream of all these changes. It's it's our Star Trek future, and and also like just to close up on an actual good product, I really recommend Star Trek: Brave New Worlds or Strange New Worlds. There's finally a new Star Trek show which is good is and it? optimistic. Is it like an actual show? It's an actual it? Star Trek show. It's it's episodic. It's they visit a different planet every week. It's fantastic. It's really good. Can it's, I ask you why? I don't understand. It's like I watched Star Star Trek as a kid. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Why can't things just end? Am I am I becoming Andy Rooney? Why can't they just end? Because I think at some point some franchises just become a category of their own. Like it's like saying like why can't zombie movies or or vampire movies end? I think just no no that's a genre. Well, well hang on, genre. but I think something like Star Trek has turned into a genre of its own. It's its own genre of sci-fi, and we like the idea of the Enterprise and and a crew that solves issue in a very specific type of world. I think yeah. some of some of these IPs have a lifespan that kind of is more of a genre lifespan than than. You know, we'll see a Frankenstein movies until we'll see a Romeo and Juliet story told over and over again. Yeah, but it's it's different. I mean, this is this is just like the CFOs want to de-risk, and franchises are less risky as a form yeah. of of art and creativity than actually creating something from scratch that might bomb. There's definitely some of that. Not every franchise applies itself to that. Like Indiana Jones is not doing well at that, but something like Good. Star Trek, because it's it's a vessel for telling a certain type of story, I think, can. Yeah. I'm rooting against every franchise. Marvel, <laughs> Don't go against the Star Trek nerds. You went first against the <laughs> Disney adults, the Star Trek nerds. You're going to just like, I want you to have a successful business. You know, most of your customers are probably uh, into this stuff. Anyway. All right, we'll leave it there. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with the business. There's enough headwinds out there. Is okay, this. let's let's wrap it up. <laughs> if there's not ads on it, there's just some sort of alternative monetization. That's just how human beings work. Yep, that's that's what it is. When I'm explaining how I take the client list and stuff, I'm trying to get clients. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I kind of set you up for like a pitch, a business pitch. <laughs>